if you Google Tantra, you're going to get a lot of sexual images, unfortunately. And, and there is, it should be stated, especially if those, there are people listening who are considering Tantra for the first time, that it can be dangerous even in Neo-Tantra as there are beings abusing their power. another episode of The Inner Portal with me, your host, Ella. In this podcast, we take a deeper look at reality as we know it and challenge our beliefs around what is actually possible in this universe. Through interviews and personal stories, we explore the connecting dots between science and spirituality and metaphysics and psychology, aliens, and so much more. If you want even more content related to the topics that we discuss in the podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at ls.holistichealth. And don't forget to follow the podcast as well so that you stay updated on new episodes. All right, let's dive into today's episode. episode of the inner portal today i have a super exciting episode to share with you i have invited my first ever guests to the show artemis and bairav who are the creators of anuttara ashram which is an off-grid ashram in british columbia in canada which i found last year through a series of pretty interesting coincidences so um, at Anuttara Ashram, they teach non-dual tantra yoga and meditation, and they run a number of different trainings, both online and on-site uh, yoga and meditation teacher trainings, as well as tantra yoga teacher trainings. And what's so interesting about Anuttara Ashram, and which is also the reason why I was so excited when I found them last year is that they teach the traditional Tantra, not the Neo-Tantra that has become so popular in the West lately and which is also what most people refer to when they talk about Tantra in the Western society and which is mostly and mistakenly focused on sex and sexuality. So in this episode, we talk about that, how Tantra has become so misunderstood and that in reality, it's so much more than what we in the West believe it to be. And I realized in this interview that there's so much to talk about around Tantra and it's just not possible to cover everything in one episode. So we might have to do another one later this year. We were both or all of us were pretty excited about this conversation. So it would be great to, to have them over for another episode later this year. And also, if you enjoy this episode, please let me know and we will definitely arrange that. So in this episode, we talk about a bit of everything. Neo-Tantra versus traditional Tantra. We talk about non-dual Tantra, which is what they teach at the ashram. And we also talk about the connection between science and Tantra and how Tantra can be used to manifest things into reality, which I found super interesting and fascinating because that's exactly what I want to explore in this podcast. And I actually had no idea that Tantra was about that. 
And we also explore the tantric approach to emotions, going through emotions, both positive and negative, which I feel is a very relevant topic because I think it's something that most people can relate to and I think they have such a beautiful approach to it. And as a bonus to this episode, Artemis was so kind to send over a meditation on this specific topic, which is a meditation from their online yoga and meditation teacher training. So don't forget to try this meditation whenever you have time and space because it's a really beautiful meditation on on learning to experience your emotions without attachment. Yeah, this is a really juicy episode and we had so much to talk about that we actually went over the time a little bit, but I promise you that there's so much to learn in this episode. So without further ado, let's welcome Artemis and Bayra from Anuttara Ashram. So hello and welcome to the Inner Portal podcast. Mm. Hi, Eleanor. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here, uh, being my first guest on the show. I feel that I, I have um, a connection to you because I've been following you on Instagram and um, I also invested in one of your online courses last year, the Yoga Rising, mm. which is also why I, uh, or when I found uh, your ashram through a series of um pretty interesting coincidences actually <laughs> i don't know if you know how i came in contact with you the first first time i don't think i shared that no, no. I, I, <laughs> well, I recall we had a video chat together yes exactly yeah referring to yeah. yeah so i actually found you um so i was yeah like right before we had our call i was um having some experiences that i needed help with and that's also why i came in contact with you but how i actually found your ashram the first time was um just by chance i've always felt this connection to canada um ever since i was a little kid i've been drawn to canada and throughout my life i've just whenever i've heard canada i've like there's something that's resonated within me and i've always known that i wanted to go to canada but then last year that kind of intensified and i had so many experiences where canada kept popping up in my life so i was like okay i need to i need to google this i need to see what it is in canada that i <laughs> that i should know of so so i just googled like spiritual community british columbia because i knew that it was british columbia that i wanted to go to and then the first search i didn't find anything that like um piqued my interest and then the second google was just yoga anuttara or uh, yoga british columbia and Anuttara was the first um, thing that popped up. So, um, so that's how I found you, just a series of coincidences. <laughs> I guess there was a resonance then when you, you found that website. Yeah, it, it resonated deeply. And uh, I was so happy when I found your site and I read through everything on your site and I was like, yes, I found my place. Like I really want to go <laughs> to your ashram. 
So that's when I bought the course and you were so kind to, to have this video call with me when I was having some very intense experiences with Kundalini that I thought we can talk about later on. Um, yes. So yeah, thank you for, for that. It really helped me um, to go through some of the fears that I, that I had um, mm. at that moment. <laughs> So um, I want to hear more about you, although I feel like I'm connected to you. I want to hear your background and um, yeah, if you want to share your background and how you came in contact with Tantra and, um, and uh, yeah, what led you to where you are today, basically. Well, it's a, it's a long story. We can have the long story or the shorter story or the medium story, I suppose. <laughs> Probably the medium-sized medium story. Um, do you want to go first? <laughs> no, you took it. Okay, go. good, good. So I, I started traveling when I was 24. So back in, um, let's see, it would have been 98 that I started traveling and I was, uh, I had a lot of discontent for, um, for Canadian society on the whole. Um, and I didn't know what I was really looking for. Although I, I did have a feeling of kind of s spirituality. I didn't really know, I didn't have any direction of which way to go. You know, I was looking into Buddhism a little bit. Um, I wasn't really interested in yoga. I had no idea about even uh, about Tantra at the time. So I was kind of on this search and I, I had traveled to England and did some kind of work exchange program. And a friend eventually um, convinced me to travel overland through Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, and go to India with them. So, uh, so we did this journey and the travel definitely opened my mind um, to the Middle East and to the beautiful culture that it holds. And then arriving in India, uh, very different from the Middle East on the one hand and very different from the West as well. And I first, uh, I got into um, some Buddhist practices, but I felt it a little bit hard to connect to, just being in a place where I was at the time, Tibetan Buddhist practices, uh, the Vajrayana. And, um, and then I heard about a teacher who is, who is teaching yoga um, in, in Rishikesh. And uh, upon meeting him, <clears throat> I kind of connected with him. Uh, the thing that I connected most with him was he uh, talked a lot about um, healing in yoga. And uh, I had suffered from um, a very traumatic uh, car accident when I was 16. So nine years previous to that. And he, uh, he told me that, that I could heal myself. I could heal myself from these injuries that I had mm -hmm. uh, through yoga. And that really like solidified, like, okay, I'm going to give this a try and um, give this yoga path a try and try to heal these things in me 
So I spent three months with him, went back to Canada. I, um, I saw and experienced what I wasn't missing in Canada. So then I went back to India kind of with an intention to stay there. Like my place isn't in Canada anymore, um, but it's, it's in India. It's with this teacher, it's healing the body. And, and that was kind of like where I ended it. Or that was kind of where um, my intention ended. Now, after some time there and starting to actually heal the body, starting to, to move into healing um, uh, Ajna Chakra or, or the area of the head that was injured and some other issues I had with medicine that I was on and all the rest, I, I decided that like this, the, that path of yoga had given me so much. So why not stay for longer and see where it can take me? So I had this kind of openness. I, I wasn't convinced from the very beginning, everything that was being, that was being given to me. I just had an openness. Okay. That maybe this is possible. Maybe this is something that I can, that, that I can learn from and that I can also experience the things which is talked about in um, spiritual literature. All, all of those grand things that are mentioned, they were very far from me, but I said, maybe this is possible. Maybe it's not just um, a story. Maybe it's, it's a reality. So I stayed on that, on that path and on that journey in India for the next four years. And I had a, a feeling of, uh, of renunciation, of uh, renunciating, um, I don't know, a, a common everyday life. Not that I didn't give up, not that I gave up good food and I didn't give up sexuality. I, like there were a lot of things I didn't give up, but what I gave up was this belief that I would just have um, a normal um, life, uh, whatever that means a normal life um, kind of living in the world. And this is uh, actually, I came to realize that this is quite common, quite a common thing in yoga and especially in Tantra that for some time, this, uh, that the, the kind of normality of life is given up, but then uh, it's always reflected that we, uh, we need to go back to that at some point. We need to go back to that normalcy of life and live life. Um, but in a, we live it in a different manner. We live it through a different attitude, a different uh, place of being. Um, live it actually with a lot more freedom. Live it with, um, with love and clarity, discernment and all the rest. So I stayed in India for four years. And during this time, I did, uh, there's a practice in yoga of uh, darkness retreat where, where you uh, submerge yourself in complete darkness. Um, so you, uh, you cover up all the windows with blankets and you're in complete darkness. You shouldn't be able to see the hands in front of your hands in front of you. And you're given milk uh, twice a day or, or other things, but traditionally it's milk, uh, warm milk, fresh uh, milk cow's milk and uh, I, I, did a, I did a couple of them and then I went into a five-day retreat and this is when I first started having the visions of this ashram in Canada um, 
Yeah, I and it wasn't it wasn't too specific, but it was specific enough to know that after that moment that I would uh, start to work towards uh, building an ashram in Canada somehow. I didn't have any means. I didn't. I was just like this kind of poor yogi in India, not really knowing how how that would possibly take place. So I, after some time in India, I, I found that the body was getting, uh, India, the Indian lifestyle was harsh on my body because of um, illnesses that can come in India, like parasites and, and Jardia and, and all these things, uh, stomach issues. And I went to Thailand and um, continued my yoga training in Thailand. My teacher actually moved to Thailand. And then I, I stayed there for another four years, still in the back of my mind that at some point I'll be going to Canada to buy a place to start an ashram or maybe a retreat center. And at some point it just came time that I had to, that I was, I had kind of uh, finished my training with this teacher. I felt that um, I could no longer uh, get any more teachings from, from this teacher that, that I'd come to like the end of my journey with this teacher. And then I, um, I came to Canada and uh, traveled across Canada looking at different properties. I had inherited a bit of money from my mom who passed away uh, a few years before. So I had a little bit of money. So I wanted a place that was isolated. I wanted a place that would fit within my financial means. I wanted a place that, um, yeah, that had forest all around that wasn't too damaged by any industry or anything like that. So I eventually found this place. And uh, yeah, in the beginning, it was just myself. And um, I very slowly started to work on the one cabin and then another cabin. And then my dad ended up um, offering me some of my inheritance early. And so he was able to help me with the finances for building a yoga hall and then for building cabins. And then really from there, after those were built, I started to invite the first uh, volunteers to come to help out. Um, and the first teaching started to take place, the first retreats. And, uh, and then my wife came along and, um, Guruji. oh yes, I, I, in the meantime, I also <laughs> met Guruji who, who was the path, who gave me the path of Tantra, who, who initiated me into the traditional path of Tantra. This was then in 2009. So pretty much 10 years later, I met with, uh, Guruji, Raj Kumar. And then an entirely different world opened up for me. Mm. Knowing as well that I was finished with my one teacher, I then um, took upon another teacher who, uh, yeah, who really, um, my first teacher on the yogic path, I was, my life was transformed to some degree. But upon meeting Guruji and then starting to do his practices, it uh, a whole other um, 
a whole other life came about. And this is as well where I received the name Bhairav. And Bhairav is, uh, is a deity, is a form of Shiva um, in Tantra, um, who is a very wrathful and um, active um, aspect of Shiva. And, uh, and yeah, from then, uh, I started to teach um, this path of Tantra, went through series of different uh, practices with, with Guruji, went on different pilgrimages with Guruji, eventually went through a, a very um, intense, um, uh, intense initiation process with a number of other people, uh, 64 other people, mainly um, foreigners uh, in India, like people from all walks of life from all over the world. We went through this very intensive uh, process to become teachers of Tantra, really. We didn't know that that's what we were really embarking on, but um, it, uh, it was an initiation to really empower us with the ability to teach, not just knowledge, like you might learn in a yoga teacher training or something like what alignment is, what anatomy is, maybe what the chakras are. But this was like an empowerment from within to be able to uh, share the energy of Tantra, to be able to share the energy of the lineage as well. So um, what else to say, really? <laughs> that's the uh, that's kind of the medium long story, I suppose. Wow, beautiful. So, so inspiring. Um, mm. and, and that's what I can feel also that it feels so authentic and mm. real. That's, that's the feeling I got when I visited your website and um, saw the both of you as well. It feels so real and true and authentic. Um, yeah, really beautiful. And so the two of you met at the ashram. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess my story is a little bit more, I almost want to say, yeah, I feel like Bhairav's story is a very traditional Indian story of how, uh, yeah, you know, this is the story that you hear of so many yogic teachers. Um, well, I almost feel as though mine in a sense is maybe a bit more Western. <laughs> in that uh and it, you know it's a story and so with any story there it's a veneer you know it's a shade of of the truth and there are different parts that we can accentuate to to bring about uh yeah different perspectives and uh, uh yeah ways of perceiving this being artemis uh, so I'll, I'll try to generally bring you up to speed on how my path then crossed with Bhairav, which, uh, you know, some people often ask, like, when did the spiritual journey start? And I find that this is, and maybe you can relate and resonate, it's kind of a difficult question to answer. Uh, do you start because at least for myself, I can vividly remember being a child and being in presence and playing in the trees and 
watching the spiders and even watching my breath and, you know, being in nature and being, just being, you know, there wasn't a story, there was nothing to worry about, there were no thoughts about the future or thoughts about the past. And that is so vividly there. And as I look back on my life, I can see how as I entered into becoming a teenager, that this did fade away through peer pressure and the, the, the anxiety of high school and, and so on like this. And then there was um, a time in my life where I, the, the turmoil of being a teenager, of being a blossoming human being in the world, became so much that I, I started seeking things out. I was raised Catholic, but it was no longer in my life. Um, and maybe it's worth mentioning as well as a young child, uh, one of my mom's very good friends was a Buddhist meditator. And so I was familiar with Buddhism, uh, not necessarily the philosophy or the tradition, but I had seen somebody meditating and it deeply impacted me at a young age to then pick up meditation without knowing what, what it was. I saw her sitting in front of an altar. So I mimicked this like a child does. And I created an altar and I would sit in front of it. You know, I tore out images from the National Geographic of Asia, you know, of India, of Thailand, of all of these different places. And I'd sit in front of it like I'd seen her do. And it made me feel better. And this was a practice that I kept throughout high school as well, although it changed what I might put on that altar and at some point became kind of new age, we might call it, because it was stones and I don't know, the, the um, different objects that, that made me feel good. And it would be maybe a five or 10 minute practice of sitting in front of an altar, lighting a candle and basically just trying to be happy. You know, that was the, the main goal. I didn't know about inner peace or enlightenment. I just knew that taking a moment to sit in front of this altar made me feel good. And then in time, this expanded into um, diving into my ancestral roots uh, of a, a Celtic heritage, Irish Celtic heritage. Um, I started to explore paganism and what did the original traditions in Ireland and look like before Catholicism came there. And so that was a big part of my life for a little while. And then psychedelics came into my life. And so then this was um, mind blowing, heart opening. Uh, it, it allowed me to step out of my person for the first time, my ego, my mind, and start to perceive the world in an all new way. And it truly was a spiritual experience for me. It wasn't, of course, at times it was used in a social way at parties, etc. Um, but really, it was this exploration of my consciousness. And um, this also in time after because for me, I started to believe that psychedelics was God. I wouldn't have used that word at that time, but it was, it was the best thing. <laughs> you know, it was the way to understanding ourselves. It was the way to happiness. And in time, this started to blend also with uh, this practice that I had of looking at nice objects on an altar uh, and 
now I was starting to form more of a meditative practice. Um, books such as The Power of Now came into my life, as well as books by Ram Dass, of course, came into my life. Started reading a lot about um, the, just the psychedelics of, of the 60s and the spirituality that they were coming across because there was something that was deeply resonating there. And this is really like brushing upon over many years. Later, I found myself in Central America. Um, now I'm studying yoga and I'm studying meditation. And I'm now also moving into more shamanism, which I felt was also crossing with this paganism that I'd discovered earlier of my ancestors, honoring the sun, honoring the moon, honoring the earth, and then was also um, relating, was quite close with the psychedelics in terms of ayahuasca, San Pedro, even such things as, as simple as cacao. And so my practice was deepening in this way. And then I, at some point, started to have um, some very strong visions of, of a place that I now know is here, <laughs> of a giant cottonwood tree of an old log cabin. And they were coming to me in different meditative practices and um, shamanic journeys. And I also was feeling an unrest, we could say, or an uneasiness in my soul, not like my deepest core, but in my, my, my energetic being. And I was no, I was, I'd spent some time traveling and living in many different spiritual communities and non-spiritual communities. And there was this discrepancy. I was also working in forestry uh, seasonally. And I was having like a, my two worlds were not fitting. I found that in the spiritual communities, I was really suffering with this, keep your vibe high, follow your bliss. Uh, everybody's just always happy and you know if you're if you're not keeping this high vibration then you're not manifesting and that felt really toxic but I couldn't really put my finger on why and then if I spent time in communities that were not uh, spiritual I suffered with the lack of spirituality, with the focus. It was wonderful to be focused on social justice issues and to be focused on making a difference in the world. But we spent so much time arguing with each other uh, that, that we weren't getting a lot done. And I, I felt it lacked heart. Um, and so here I was in this kind of dark night of the soul, we could say, where I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. Community was... I was struggling to find a community that I felt resonated with my life of being both spiritual as well as human. And at the same time, I'd had a vision of a man coming from India who had a particular pendant on his neck. Um, and I'd been kind of through meditation been told when he would appear in my life and, and he hadn't. And so I wasn't sure so, uh, so to paint the picture, there was turmoil, <laughs> there was angst, there was this question of what am I doing in my life? I'd had these visions, I'd done everything the visions told me to, why wasn't things falling, why weren't things falling into place? And so I was about ready, I was kind of on this sojourn aimlessly 
uh, hiking and, and spending long fasting periods in the forest and um, just traveling British Columbia this way. And I found myself heading north. And so I thought that I may just settle in a cabin and live alone, that I was like that done with community, that maybe this is what I was supposed to do. And I was on a crossroads, literally, like I could go right, I could go left <laughs> in my car. And I'd heard about this ashram. And so I went into the forest again and did my kind of these fasting little journeys I would do. And I'm in my tent and I decided I would contemplate or meditate on, on what, what do I do? And so I first envisioned myself heading further north and finding a cabin and living there. And I could, it was beautiful. You know, I could see wolves and trees and lots of meditation and time alone. Um, and that felt wonderful. And so then I decided to turn my attention towards the possibility of going to another community or to this ashram. And I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see anything at all. And it was just darkness. And this was almost kind of frustrating because I didn't know what to focus on to try to figure out if, if this is where I'm supposed to go or not. And in this, just sitting in my tent alone in the forest, uh, I'm focused, I'm focused, I'm trying to find some answer of what I'm supposed to do. And then I hear this voice very clearly say, go to the ashram, you will find your husband there. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so clearly that I actually unzipped my tent and got my flashlight and poked my head outside <laughs> looking for this being or person that would have because it was right by my ear. It wasn't inside. It wasn't like this internal voice. It was something outside that said this to me. So despite having no uh, strong feelings towards the ashram or not an ability to see what it might look like, obviously this voice <laughs> sparked a little bit of a <laughs> curiosity. So I decided I'll go to this ashram and I'll see what's going on there. So then arriving, I found myself looking at everybody in the community and I'm also a pansexual. So I was wondering, I was also looking at women and, and, and men and thinking maybe it said husband, but maybe, you know, maybe a woman could be my husband. And there was yeah. this time of like looking at everyone in the community, but I wasn't looking at him because he was the dude, you know, he, he's the guy in charge. He's not my husband. And there was no connection with anyone. So this kind of fell away and I figured it must have been in my head and continued to live here. Bhairav and I started working together very closely um, on this building, actually. It's a sustainable building made out of straw bales and, and dirt and recycled materials. And yeah, we were working on it together and there started to be this connection with him, which I found quite strange because he's older and because I didn't think that, you know, I don't know, I wasn't expecting that. And we started to really hit it off. And then long story short, as we started to become more intimate, um, one day this pendant fell out of his, 
his shirt. And it was the very pendant that I had seen all of that time ago about this man coming from India who I was supposed to be with. And so it was this full circle of, of us coming together. And then, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Such a beautiful story. I don't even know where to start. It's like, <laughs> I'm so happy I asked this question. <laughs> um, wow, that's, that's fascinating. Very fascinating. And I can relate so much to, to your story as well. Um, all the way from having this spiritual connection as a child, but not really knowing what it was. And then to to discover more of it later on i went through a burnout so i had quite a quite a major spiritual awakening during my burnout or like after my burnout um when i kind of awakened to it so uh, and that was only a couple of years ago um so i'm like fairly new on my path but i i still resonate with that searching and not really like finding your way and um yeah seeking seeking purpose um and feeling a little lost in the in the society um also like you said by to not really resonate with with the society so and i think um that's a good way to kind of start talking about what tantra is right because um, from my understanding, Tantra um, kind of embraces the whole, uh, the whole experience, both as a human being and a spiritual being, right? Yeah, yeah this was, looking back now, I can see that this is why I was struggling in other spiritual communities. There's a lot of other spiritual traditions focus on the transcendental keep your vibe high if that's you know you're in more of a new age let's say community or uh to to focus on the divine which is above us or outside of us or beyond us to purify yourself all of these things are kind of part of a transcendental spirituality which is the most common spirituality we see in the world really um it's the most popular kind of spirituality or spiritual understanding so that uh difficulty that I was feeling was was this okay yes I'm spiritual but I'm also human and it wasn't until for myself I'd when I landed in the ashram to see that people were uh strong spiritual practitioners here there was a devotion to spirituality yet we're also you know on our out on a quad or digging a hole or planting in the garden and getting our hands dirty and openly discussing our emotions and our difficulties and our um, hang-ups in our own minds, not trying to hide also our fallibility as human beings. That's when I knew I was really home. And now I can say that's part of the tantric spiritual life, not denying your humanness. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you want to add to that? Uh no, I think you've done pretty well. <laughs> you know, it's 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 uh, on the one hand, it's it's true that it's important to uh, realize that transcendent aspect within ourselves. Mm -hmm. But the the very common uh, tantric saying, and it's in other traditions as well, but 
uh, what is here is everywhere and what is not here is nowhere. So that actually means that you don't have to go anywhere. You just have to realize what's inside. Uh, and so that also means that God is not outside of you. God is inside, that that transcendent aspect is inside. So that means as well that the, that the physical body, the mind is also divine. Mm. So that there's a complete like... Um, that spirituality is something that has to be integrated into life. Because if we're constantly searching for something which is pleasant or no, something which is moral, something which is like um, kind of sometimes outside of us, right? Because we also can see our fallibility in our own life that when we, when we continue to search after that ideal um, image we have of ourselves, like, myself as being perfect and, and not lying at not cheating not stealing you know all these things that not uh, having bad thoughts not having bad, bad thoughts we're constantly running towards that other thing right. we deny actually the divine within us that also even those those uh, things that are so-called negative um they're also divine right so then this, that, the tantric path in this way can be very confusing because then like, okay, the negative is also okay. <laughs> so then people will go down this negative trip. Okay, well, everything is fine, and, but it's also not like that either, you know. <laughs> the thing is the negative can teach us so much. And, and we know this, that... We, we see it in Eleanor's story herself. Yeah. She had this breakdown and then from it, there was this... Yeah, exactly. Awakening. Yeah. Like you go to the dentist, it's painful, but you have to go to the dentist, you know, you have to, you have to learn sometimes from, from pain, from mm. our mistakes. So, so yeah, that's kind of, Tantra tries its best to, to not deny anything, nor to attach to anything as well. Right. So neither are you denying your anger you're denying your sadness you're also not attaching yourself to that sadness so it's not a reason to suddenly start to get angry all the time you know some people hear about it and they're like okay i can be angry mm -hmm. but it's accepting the anger but also not feeding into it yes. either you know letting it flow through the body because that's what it needs to do mm. or any really, mm -hmm. including happiness because it's always a flux and a flow when it comes to our emotions. Yeah. And I, I find that so difficult to, to know how long to kind of stay in an emotion. Like how much should I dive into this and, and try to heal it? And how much should I just kind of let it flow through me and then just let it go? And how do I let it go? Um, it's, it's something that's been very alive in me um, lately, this question of um, accepting everything, even the negative emotions and uh, yeah, figuring out sort of how to, how to deal with emotions. And I think that's, that's why Tantra is so um, interesting and fascinating to me. And I want to learn so much more about it. I don't yeah. think you're alone at all, Eleanor. It's actually one of the most common questions that we get around emotions and, and how to deal with them and, and so on like this. Um, yeah. 
one thing that I, I feel called to share, not just for you, but for anyone who's listening, is a huge part of finding freedom within these so-called negative emotions, of finding peace, despite you know there being anger or sadness, anxiety, fear, is not trying to deal with them, <laughs> is not trying to solve them, is not trying to find out why they're here, um, but instead to allow them to come in without the story. When we are feeling an emotion, let's say sadness, and we're trying, we're trying to be accepting of it, for many of us, especially in the West, because we know a decent amount about psychology, it's in our school system, etc. We think that in order to be accepting of the emotion, we need to really know it. Where did it come from? Why is it here? How can I get rid of it? And we get actually into the head about the emotion and we're no longer actually feeling it. We're trying to like dissect it and, and investigate it and solve it. So there's still this energy of it's a problem. It's a problem that I'm now going to solve because I'm so accepting of it. <laughs> when in actuality, it's better to, or ne not necessarily better, but it can be a wonderful practice to come into a space of not knowing and to invite this emotion in, uh, in a kind of curiosity, as if you're meeting sadness for the first time and without story. So it's a, a very helpful way of perceiving this. We, we could do a whole talk just on emotions. But one last thing I'll just say is to try to change your perspective from a person in sadness to sadness appearing in you. And, and this can be huge because now we step into a space of awareness rather than a person who's suffering and, and has all of these stories and, and so on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that, that's, um, yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's, it's something that I have actually thought of a lot myself with how I use my language as well. And, um, relating to myself so not identifying myself with being angry i am angry no i'm experiencing anger um yes. and also in my burnout to to not like i'm not an ex-burnout i experienced a burnout but i don't have to identify myself with that experience mm -hmm. uh, and that has helped me a lot to to move through emotions and to not get so attached to them and to create, to not create these stories around emotions. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and this, this can be hard, um, especially when we're really attached to our emotions. Some emotions will be easier yeah. than others. So yeah. what's, what's usually a recommended work, which works really well, is to just feel it in the body. Mm -hmm. You know, just feel. At, like, where is it in the body? Is it in the heart, the stomach, or, or wherever? And, and then just feel through it. Um, so it's kind of, um, we could say we disconnect. Disconnect, not the right word, but we let go of that, that story. And then we just feel in the body. We're just present with what's happening in the body. And um, it, it's usually just something that has to flow through us. That, that like once we connect with that story, then it comes into the body, but we can also let it disappear um, by, by um, 
being aware of what's happening in the body. It can be quite fascinating as well because when you when you can perceive an emotion as just sensation rather than something I need to solve or something that comes from my mother or my father, or, you know, because of my coworker, it's just sensation appearing in the body. We start to see these um, interesting correlations, you know, that often, at least for myself, anxiety appears as sensation in the stomach in the same way that excitement appears as sensation in the stomach. And really, if my mind hadn't labeled the emotion anxiety or excitement, it's just a pure sensation in the belly that that doesn't need to be good nor bad. It's just appearing in the body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. That's that's very good. Good advice, I think, to many people. Yes, I think so too. Mm. <laughs> advice for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So to those of you, uh, the, the ones who are listening that don't know Tantra, <laughs> how, would you, how would you explain Tantra? Like, w- what's the origin of Tantra? Because I feel like it's, it feels like a very modern uh, mm. approach or modern teaching in a way. Fascinating. Um, yeah. Yes, there are uh, two kind of veins, we could say, of Tantra. Well, there are many veins of Tantra, really. Mm. But um, in particular, you know, there's this thing called Neo-Tantra, which is that may be what you're saying feels new, uh, or maybe not. Then there's also traditional Tantra. So what we're speaking of here, of embracing our humanity, of embracing our emotions, of not trying to transcend in order to find the divine, uh, that's a philosophical perspective that comes from Tantra, that we also still, like it's traditional, but we also find it in Neo-Tantra. And so that's an area that some Neo-Tantric practitioners have focused on completely, um, emotions and, and, and the humanness and, and so on like this. Um, of course, within the world of Neo-Tantra, there's also this emphasis on sexuality, which isn't really uh, foundational to what Tantra actually is. It's something that I feel that us, we in the West have become a bit fixated on. And there is, of course, some wonderful healing properties that come with exploring our sexuality. And however, it, if we were really to dive into it, Tantra, you know, it's like you peel back the box and a whole lot can we can there's so many there's so much to learn yeah. and to experience and to explore but in the in the realm of sexuality i'll just say of course this can be healing and helpful for us uh in our lives uh, but without working with a direct like a guru who is themselves awakened enlightened you cannot find enlightenment through sexuality. That's um, like a probably hard thing for some people to hear. You can, of course, have these beautiful ecstatic experiences of Kundalini rising, of um, maybe even having some sort of no mind, maybe even a samadhi in in your um, in your uh, orgasm with your partner. However it will not be lasting until you can work directly with a guru. And this is something that's coming in what's called left-handed Tantra. 
So we have right-handed Tantra and left-handed Tantra. Um, right-handed Tantra, we could almost say is the safer Tantra. Um, it's the Tantra that, that um, is, is most known in India, but the left-handed Tantra is actually what's gotten Tantra such a bad name for itself or something that people find to be, um, yeah, black magic sometimes or something. Mm -hmm. And is greatly feared as well. The, uh, the left-handed Tantra, it, you know, um, when you have a, when you have a guru of the left-handed path, it's not just like, I don't know, they're having sex and I don't know, and in rose petaled um, beds and stuff like this, like there is like, it, it's like a, a path which is um, so difficult to traverse that it, it actually, it, it's really student disciple. There usually aren't, out of- um, Guru disciple. Yeah, guru disciple. Out of 100,000 disciples, only one of them will be fit for left-handed tantra. Like it's so little because it, it doesn't just stop with sexuality. Like these, right. they'll be doing things which, um, which are also despicable for us, which seem, which are so taboo for Indian, for our society, especially for Indian society that like, and they do these things. I don't need to get into the exact practices, but they do these things in order to uh, be able to rest in uh, an equanimous space, even while doing them. And um, that's the point of including sexuality in your left-handed tantric practice as well. well. And, and for, for Hindu society, Okay, sexuality happens with your um, life partner. And, and then that's kind of, that's what's accepted for Hindu society. Now, now, if during these rituals, it's not with your life partner, it's with someone else, then it's incredibly taboo. And it's not done out of desire at all. There's no desire there. It's, it's purely for the sake of realization and enlightenment. And for us, like we might say, oh yeah, enlightenment, you know, do some hanky panky for enlightenment. But for them, it's it's a very serious thing, and it's it's not even um, it's not it's not talked about much, and uh, it's it's greatly misunderstood by the Western mind, because we had this sexual revolution in the '60s, which was very important for for maybe for any society for that to happen. But um, when it comes into spirituality and, um, and the path of left-handed Tantra, it's a very rigid, very like, you know, if you make mistakes on that path, they, there's a chance that you won't have enlightenment in this life or many lives to come because you've just, you've, you've like, the, um, the energies that are involved in this, with with the deities are very wrathful and uh they don't look kindly on these mistakes that one might make and i i know people who have tried traveling down this path who have not had uh proper uh guidance they have not had a guru a real guru who has who is in this lineage of this left-handed path and they have been burned incredibly like they have hmm. They have been lost in their desire, in their power, 
and everything else just not like it's kind of like playing with fire not really knowing playing with gasoline and fire and not knowing that one will explode the other. And so. and so, you know, in Neo-Tantra in the West, including sexuality, doesn't mean that this is going to happen to you, that you need to fear, oh no, now that I'm exploring Neo-Tantra and we're exploring our sexuality, um, yeah, I'm going to be playing with fire because it's, it's not even steeped in tradition most of the time. It's Neo-Tantra. So the point that we're just trying to make is is trying to accentuate because so many people, if you Google Tantra, you're going to get a lot of sexual images, unfortunately. And, and there is, it should be stated, especially if those, there are people listening who are considering Tantra for the first time, that it can be dangerous even in Neo-Tantra as there are beings abusing their power and coercing students into sexual relationships that are, are just not they're abusive, they're unhealthy, and this is a really unfortunate thing that's happening in so many areas beyond Tantra, beyond spirituality. We see it in the doctor's office, you know, it's, it's happening everywhere, unfortunately, and um, devastatingly, really. But, so that is, that is something to be said about the question of what is Tantra. Um, it's not sexuality. Uh, however, sexuality is there in the tradition on the left-handed side. And then there's the right-handed side of Tantra. Um, and we call it the left and the right because in, traditionally in India, we use the left hand to wipe our bum and the right hand is the hand that we eat with. So it kind of gives you this sense of like this taboo thing to, if you were to do things with your left hand, that's the kind of path that the left-handed Tantra is. Mm. Right-handed Tantra, you start to find things like Kundalini, as you're, spe you're speaking of, which is also in the left-handed side, but we have practices that are more meditative as well as rituals that are not uh, so taboo, mm. I guess we could say, um, which, is what, which is what you would find here. As we said to you earlier, uh, we're celebrating Navaratri here right now, and so we're working with these different forms of the goddess, actually. Um, the three main forms that we find, at least in our tradition of Shivoham Tantra, is mantra, sacred sound, yantra, sacred geometry, and yagya, uh, sacred fire ceremony. And so like this, we are empowering ourselves as well as the world around us and calling upon Shakti. Uh, Shakti is this we, could, we see it in India traditionally as a, like a female form, but really Shakti is beyond gender. Shakti is that energetic quality which makes up the entire universe. And so tantrics, particularly in a path called Shakta Tantra or Shaktism, they are going to be working with, um, at times, um, in a more, we're getting really into the nitty gritty, but into the more kaula, traditions, they're going to be working with ritual and puja and mantra, yantra, yagya are three things that they may be using to awaken their own kundalini and also to bring other blessings in, in, in their life as well. To awaken kundalini or to work with shakti doesn't necessarily just mean enlightenment. It can mean a good marriage. It can mean good health. It can mean a good career. Um, and that's part of tantra that 
we see a lot in India as still being alive of, of using tantric uh, practices uh, to better our life in a more human way, not necessarily just for spiritual reasons. <laughs> that was a lot. No, that, that was great. It covered many, many of my questions, um, both regarding Tantra versus Neo-Tantra, because um, I have also come across the, the more unhealthy side of, of Tantra, and I can see how that can be um, dangerous uh, to, to people. And um, yeah, so I think it's very good that you that you explain that and that you also like teach the, the essence of Tantra and um, yeah, this, this path that you are on. Um, and that's also what, what um, made me so interested in, in your ashram to start with, because I feel like it's very, um, yeah, authentic and it feels very sacred um, in a whole different way, I would say. Mm. So, what what does it mean to to be a a, a tantric? How how can a, one live a tantric life in um, in today's society? And I think what I what I um, meant with uh, um, tantra being a modern teaching is that I have understood that it it um, originates from um, be, like uh, it originated as a teaching for the the dark age is that correct yeah yeah it's it's amazing because um you know india uh, many tradition many religions come out of india and really the modern hindu is kind of a conglomerate of all of those different uh traditions and there has been some some it says in the in the vedas or it says in the in the literature in the scripture that Tantra is for the dark ages. Tantra is for, is, is not for the time when it was written. It's actually for some time in the future. Mm -hmm. And Tantra really like, if you look at the traditions that came through India, you have the Vedas and then uh, the Puranas, um, which are kind of the ancient things, which, which we know about, but, but are not understood so much. And then we have Buddhism come along and that built on what society was lacking at the time. Um, you know, cause there was a lot, of, Buddha kind of um, uh, was protesting uh, how people were arguing whether Shiva was better than Krishna, for example, and all of this. Buddha said, it doesn't matter. You don't even need to believe in God. It's, it's, rather, it, it's rather inside of you, just awaken this, you know, just awaken your own Buddha nature. And, and then that was built upon, uh, again, by Shankaracharya, which started Advaita Vedanta, because they said, he, he then said uh, some of the things that Buddhism was lacking. And then that was built upon, um, Advaita Vedanta was a pretty much perfectly complete system. And many people still feel it is, and in some ways it is, but there was still this one aspect, Advaita Vedanta, just focuses on that transcendent and then says that everything is illusion. And then Tantra came along and saw that li one little thing and is like, you know, what, what this is is also divine. 
you know, it might be illusion, but it's also divine. It also has a purpose. It's not like it's just like a dream that has no purpose. Dreams can have and do have purposes, mm. a great purpose in our lives. So in the same way that this world is also, um, is also not illusion, but it was a radical thought back then. And it's also even a radical thought in India now mm. as well. But uh, it was said that because as well, Tantra, Tantra is like, the way that our guru defines Tantra is that it's like a science that, that we're working with. It's the same way that we can work with electricity and power a light or power um, a stereo or power a car. In the same way, we can use these energies, these divine energies, um, which are all around us um, to, uh, to influence our environment, to influence our own being, um, and to manifest, to be able to manifest. Uh, as Artemis said, from the very like uh, rudimentary things of, I don't know, creating more abundance in one's life to creating to finding a life partner to having children uh to having children which are harmonious for us as well to having spiritual children why not <laughs> to like um to like other things in our life which are spiritual which um create spiritual abundance in our lives so so tantra like uses these these energies in kind of a very scientific way like guruji more than anything, he's kind of like a scientist. He's like, okay, like he knows things that he can't do, but then the things that he can do, he'll experiment with doing things with different kinds of oils, with different kinds of wood. Mm -hmm. And there's some things that are written in scripture, written in tradition that are well known that such using such a wood on such a night with such an oil will produce certain results for a certain energy to come to earth. To be able to, yeah, it's very wild the way that this is, this is being used. And then um, there's other things which are like, he's, he's trying kind of like an alchemist, kind of trying these different things Mm -hmm. to produce these different results, shortcuts, for instance, because um, in this age, we need all the shortcuts we can have. We don't have possibility to to be in a society where we're being supported by society if we want to live a spiritual life. Pretty much everyone has to work or Mm -hmm. else maybe in some countries like Sweden or maybe Den or the the Scandinavian countries, maybe you can have good good enough social assistance so that you could live a spiritual life if if you really wanted to. Not the case in many other countries. So really, like, we're caught in this rat race. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to, we want to live a certain comfortable life. We can't live on the street. And so, yeah, we're just stuck in the system. So it makes it the spirituality for the dark ages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the dark ages being this modern um, age that we are in now. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and, and there's... There's like, there's so many tricks that Tantra has in order to awaken the energy within us faster, that it's really like, that's why it was called something for future generations, something for the so-called Kali Yuga, because, um, because it is fast it, and it does work. And, yeah. and also it's, it's for the minds that are more scientifically based. It's not just for poets, you know, it's for people who, 
who who like to you know do these experiments and to really work with this at least with the field of authentic tantra yeah Hmm. And so it may be worth mentioning as well that it's not always, there's different um, paths within traditional tantra as well. So it's not always that we're uh, experimenting and making um, pujas and pujas are rituals. Um, that might not be in every tradition, but there can all, you will still find, um, let's say Kashmir Shaivism is a very popular today form of, of tantra, a path of tantra. But, and we practice this here as well, actually. But um, in Kashmir Shaivism, there's still this scientific inquisitiveness in, in a sense of inquiring into your being, of inquiring in the world and trying to find the source of yourself um, that, is, that is also quite scientific in a sense. Um, and then that's the, that's the more kind of neo-Kashmir Shaivism because then when we look at traditional Kashmir Shaivism, it's quite a science as well and sort of the 36 tattvas and how things are organized in the universe. It's all been very clearly laid out just like the periodic table. Everything has its place in space. So yeah, that's a really brief <laughs> look at what Tantra is, but mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm noticing that, yeah, this is such a broad topic, so it's very hard to cover everything that I would love to, to ask you. But I think um, this, this ties into my whole idea with the podcast, because I myself um, have realized the connection between spirituality and science and I have this fascination for the for quantum physics and just really understanding how this universe, uh, our reality is created, how we are the creators of our reality and learning how to work with energies and how we can make um, or understand how the universe works for us, um, not against us and also um, yeah, what, what we can do to um, um, experience more of ourselves. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's very fascinating. I actually didn't, didn't know about all of this. So it makes me even more fascinated. <laughs> it's Tantra, so much to learn. <laughs> so, um, yeah, sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, our Guruji, he sometimes says that the more you learn about Tantra, the less you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As I mentioned to you earlier, we just wrote this book on Tantra, and we definitely both are like, yeah, there's so much more. There's mm -hmm. still so much more to learn. Yeah. And, and like, there isn't, in India, there isn't like one authority on Tantra. Like, mm -hmm. this is the way things are because the, the Tantric literature has been written over so many years. So then, yeah, it's, it's not so clear cut. Mm -hmm. Not so clear cut. And we've only spoken about Hindu Tantra. There's also Buddhist Tantra, which well. yeah. we won't even get into that. Yeah. <laughs> but so, um, how would you... Um, because you teach non-dualism um, at the ashram, right? How is, um, can you ex explain a little bit more about that, what non-dualism is? You go. You go. <laughs> okay. So 
I guess fundamentally, we could simply say that non-dualism, um, from a tantric perspective specifically, let, let me rewind. First, to be non-dual is to say that the, the divine is not outside of you. That, and then this can expand. That's the, that's the basis of it, the crux, that, that there, there isn't you a person and the divine. There's not something above you, something beyond you, that you and the divine are one. And so Bhairav briefly mentioned this other path called Advaita Vedanta. Advaita means not two. So there's not, this is all one. We're all one, one universe. You know, words are doing our best to describe something that's really beyond the mind. Words come from the mind. And so we're trying to paint a picture of something that doesn't really, do you follow what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the difference between Advaita Vedanta, traditional Advaita Vedanta, because that's also expanded in its own way and become like a neo-Advaita Vedanta, um, but Advaita Vedanta and Tantra and non-dual Tantra um, is going back to what Bhairav said of how Advaita Vedanta said, we're, we're not two, but the world is an illusion. You and the divine are one. You can find the divine you are the divine itself. There's nothing you need to change. There's nothing you need to do. It's right here in this moment. Um, but the world is an illusion and you need to turn away from the world to find your true self. Well, non-dual Tantra says, hold on a minute. <laughs> you're making two things there. You're saying you're, everything's one, but turn away from this thing that's not it. And so it's very subtle, but there is a division that's being made there. So non-dual Tantra is, is more embracing, as we said in the beginning, of, of the human, of the world, of our emotions, of you don't, you don't need to look a certain way to be spiritual. You don't need to act a certain way. You don't need to try to transcend anything. Um, it's just right here. And all of it is divine. Of course, different teachers are going to take different routes to help us find that non-dual recognition. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to fully know it and embody it. And for us, actually, we recently created a course to try to help people with this understanding. It's a very brief introduction to the different kind of what we see as a very clear outline of awakening to the non-dual realization. First, recognizing yourself as awareness, as the perceiver, and then recognizing that the world is not something outside, it's, it's appearing inside of you as awareness, and then coming to this full integration of, of living as both human and divine. And so that, to, in a simple sentence, what is non-dual tantra? It's living as both human and divine. Mm -hmm. mm. and so this this has this is very profound because actually we're like there when when we talk about the dual it's referring to uh i don't know hot cold it's referring to light and darkness it's referring to like one thing defines another thing right a carpet carpet or wood you know, um, sky or earth, you know, we have these like polarities, these different things. So when we come into the center of that, 
when we come into the the non-dual it's like um it's it's really it's something that the mind actually can't enter in upon we can kind of have pointers towards it but it can't enter in on it because the mind thinks in terms of duality it names like it has a thought the thought which i'm referring to the mind the thought process has to put a name on each thing or else there isn't really a thought there's just emptiness there's no mind so really like like um a lot of people feel when they hear this, they're like, oh yeah, okay, I got this. We're all one, okay, that's all great. <laughs> but actually it's, it's, a, it's an integral, um, ex- like it's, and it's not an experience because actually when we come down to it, there isn't an experiencer to experience it. Yes. It's something which is beyond our individuality as a person, there's no longer a person even. Mm. So, so it's this full recognition that you are, um, you are myself, you are all the people in the world, you are the world itself and the earth and the whole universe, the bookshelf behind you, the, the picture, the paintings, everything, every, like, yeah, it's, um, in the beginning, it's mind blowing, really, when, when we have this complete uh, recognition so and really um and you touched upon it artemis it's the present moment Mm. because without the with the present moment there's no past there's no future thoughts are also not in the present moment because you have no knowledge of the past and no knowledge no not able to uh, project into the future but for us to really be in the present we have to let go of the mind and in in the way we talk about it let go of the mind and enter into the heart mm-hmm. this is how we talk about it but this yeah. is how we talk about it but uh it doesn't mean like i don't know the gushy loving part of the heart when you, everyone butterflies yeah butterflies and when you're in love and how that feels it's not like that warm feeling because that's <clears> a feeling <throat> that's something that's perceived instead of um, that which um, is aware of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm. Many of the different teachers have many different ways that they um, they talk about it to try to point. To try to point. To something that can't be talked about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's difficult with the words to explain all of this mm. that is just beyond our mm. human understanding really um the the heart is something that i feel very strongly is um um it's something i've uh, explored like opening my heart and and finding this connection and my heart center um it's also why i'm i've called the the podcast the inner portal <laughs> because i feel it's the portal to <laughs> to um to a deeper understanding um, of how the universe works. And yeah, so um, I thought of this when you spoke, Bhairav, because um, that's something I'm, I'm struggling a lot with, like how to, to like have a human experience, but also being this 
infinite spiritual being it's uh, it's something that i've struggled a lot with especially these last couple of weeks um to kind of understand like how how do i find meaning in in life and in the things i do and like in a in a job and um in relationships and like um i i I want to make money and I want to grow a business for myself and I want to be successful. But another part of me is like, I know that I am also this infinite spiritual being and that none of that really matters in a sense, um, although it does. So what is the, the tantric approach to this or what would you say about that? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Tantra would say um, that from a non-dual perspective, because that's what we're talking about, that we don't really have a choice. <laughs> that And Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, which isn't a tantric text, but he said that, that you, can't, you can't stop doing. You're always going to be doing something. There's always going to be a, a karma that's being built whether that karma leads you to a pleasant things or unpleasant things, whether you're sitting meditating, you're still doing something. Whether you're out in the world acting, you're still doing something. So really what Tantra with this, with this um, expression of embodiment really means that when we can step into our non-dual um, understanding of the universe, and live life with more freedom, that it's actually for service, that we need to have a, a change in perspective that, that, my, that my life, that my, that my job, even though the job is for me to make money, like let's say I do, um, I wash dishes, we might think, well, I'm washing dishes because I have to pay for rent <clears throat> and I can't really get out of this rat race, but that's what's happening. And I have to buy food and this is kind of all for me. But like this perspective all for me, if we change it, we say, I'm actually like this, this life is actually for me to become more happy um, at the very basic sense, more joyous, then this will obviously influence all of those around me. And, and it, life becomes actually karma yoga. Life becomes what we call a seva, a selfless service and actually life is duty. So, and, and, and this understanding of duty or dharma that we have in, in India is, is something that's, that's really important to understand that like this, that, that, that we, can, we can either act for the betterment of people or the, or the like non-betterment of people. And, and really, Really, the tantric path kind of teaches us that. And, and we can't really act fully selflessly until we've had that vision of the transcendent, until we've been able to come back into the world and see, really see everything as divine. And so before this happens, though, before we have this full perspective and, you know, that everything is, things are becoming transformed where we usually act through glimpses and through just placing ourselves back into that present moment. Use the tools that 
Tantra that also spirituality has brought us, maybe not just Tantra, but use prayer if that's what connects you to the present moment. Use um, whatever it is, I don't know, setting your timer for at once an hour just to sit in the prep or stand or take walk, to take a breath, to, to come back to that <clears throat> present moment. Because these kind of like, you know, uh, we're propelled by uh, what what's known as samskaras or tendencies. And so we can either have negative tendencies that bring us to, to towards negative things, or we can actually work on creating these positive tendencies and and positive habits in our life to come back into this present moment um, at, at all moments of our lives. And then actually it starts to become like a, a blossoming, a flowering that, yeah, that, that, that the spirituality that we practice just doesn't happen on our meditation mat or our yoga mat, that it, that it's something that we, we learn to integrate everywhere. There's this saying that I really, um, I really feel like I try to live my life by, um, which is when I know who I am, I am you. When I don't know who I am, I serve you. And so I feel this is a wonderful way to kind of synopse what Bhairav has just said of, you know, when we are knowing ourselves as the infinite, when we're knowing ourselves as awareness, there isn't this nihilism that life doesn't matter, my work doesn't matter. Life's just flowing through us as awareness and, and it's, it's wonderful. There's no good, no bad, everything is welcome. And then of course, like, like everything in life, there's ebbs and flows and we flow back into feeling like a person, feeling back like a form again, feeling back like, oh, I don't feel infinite right now. And that's not a problem. We're not gonna stay feeling infinite forever. And, and we come back into feeling like a person and then feeling like a person. <clears throat> if we find ourselves in the mind of thinking, what does my life mean? And why do I want to do these jobs? This is all illusion, da, 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 da. Then we just come back to simply saying, okay, I don't know who I am right now. You know, I don't know myself as what I really am. And so now I'm going to do my best to be of service. I get a job so that I can feed my family, so I can feed myself, so that I'm healthy to be taking care of the people who are in my life and, and so on like this. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's very beautiful. <laughs> uh, and I feel like it's a very good, good wrap up to, to this uh, uh, talk with the both of you as well. I see I would love to ask you so many more questions, but I see the time just flew by. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for, for all your knowledge and for um, sharing your time with me. Um, thank you, Eleanor. <laughs> we were talking before as well about um, your book that, that's coming out in June, right? Yeah, it should be middle of June, I think. End yeah. of June, maybe. End of June. 28th or 29th. Amazing. Yeah. And, um, can you tell, tell me briefly about, about the book? Uh, the, this, the book is a, is a general um, introductory, um, the first part. It's in two parts, basically. But the first part is a general introduction to Tantra 
and the importance of meditation and tantra. That's like kind of the main focus. Keeping so, it really simple. Really simple. So that people who are interested in tantra should be able to just pick it up and get a general sense. Because as I'm sure you kind of have recognized from this conversation, we have a lot. Yes. We have a lot to share about tantra. There's a lot to explore in tantra. And so the goal of this book was to like give someone a nice, easy first taste of Hindu Tantra specifically. Mm-hmm. And then the second part are some meditations that mm. then give you an opportunity yeah. to, to experience what you hear the philosophy in the beginning. And then in the second part, you get to start to develop a practice, an experiential practice of Tantra. Amazing. Yeah. That's very exciting. And where, where can we find this book if you want to buy it? It'll definitely be on Amazon, and our understanding is it should be in major bookstores as well. I don't know about Europe, what that would look like for Europe. Major bookstores in the U.S. anyway. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Um, yes. And and you said you wanted uh, to share one of the meditations as well uh, as a, a bonus to this episode. Yes. This is yeah. Lovely. Amazing. I'm sure everyone will be very excited about that, including me. Um, and if we want to follow you on uh, Instagram or any social media website, where can we find you? Yeah, so we are Anatara Ashram on Instagram. And then we have our website, anatara.org. And we're also on YouTube, but we're not as active on there as, as we are on social media. Um, our newsletter is also a great way to find out about our upcoming courses and um, different projects we're working on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Thank you so much for this talk. Yeah, yeah this has been really yeah. nice. Hopefully we'll meet you one day in person. Yeah, Maybe here in Canada. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely planning on coming as soon as uh, the world allows me. <laughs> yeah. Those are always right. Thank you. <laughs> Have a beautiful day. Me too. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Namaste. Namaste. Stay in touch too, eh? I will. <laughs> Definitely.